Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Horizon West Church, welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, as Justin said a moment ago, this is going to be about worship today. We hope every Sunday is, uh, but today we get to kind of set it aside as the specific subject that we're going to be looking at. What does it mean to be worshipers? What does it mean to worship God? Before we get there, let me just piggyback on a couple things. Um, last Sunday, we had our Connect experience. We saw 15 people who are kind of taking their first steps with Horizon West Church and go through that um, class, for lack of a better word, basically an opportunity to ask questions and, and get some answers or at least get connected with other members and participants of Horizon West Church. If you missed that opportunity and you still want to connect, you can do so by just texting CONNECT to 40777. We'll follow up with you. We'll let you know everything you need to know to, to get your first steps going with Horizon West Church. Um, and then I also want to just talk about for a moment our group launch happening Thursday. And I'm really excited. I'm always excited when we start new groups because it means new opportunities for people to connect in genuine, authentic Christian community and also places where the gospel is going to infiltrate into new neighborhoods, new communities, new homes. And so uh, we invite you, if you've not yet connected to a group, you can go on the website uh, at our events page and register for Group Connect uh, this, or rather Group Launch this Thursday. Um, and uh, the reason I'm a little more excited than usual is we're starting some groups that we haven't always had the opportunity to have. Uh, one of those is a legacy group. So if you're in kind of the, the season of life where you're going to visit grandkids a lot, maybe that would be you, that, that group, and we'd love for you to get registered and to help you find that. Uh, we're also starting a group that's kind of our, our single-ish group. Um, a lot of different maybe categories of life, but you go basically it's I'm single, and we would love to invite you to a group that we're forming around that. Um, and even for our high schoolers, we are uh, beginning in the next few weeks a targeted high school group. That's not through our events page, but you'll hear more about that in the coming weeks. And I couldn't be more excited to see God flourishing the community and the life that's happening together at Horizon West Church. Well, this is going to be the last of our four weeks of what we're calling First Things First. We began with prayer, uh, then to Bible reading to the church, and now with worship. And the reason we're saving worship for the end is not because it's the least important, but because it is the end or the goal of all of our efforts as a church and all of our uh, reasons for existing as human beings, that we would worship God through Jesus. So that's what we're doing today. And before we talk about what true worship or right worship looks like, I want to bring some levity to the room and show you a glimpse of what wrong worship looks like. Watch the screen. I will sing of your love on Sundays Only sing of your love on Sundays I will sing of your love on Sundays Then this feeling is gone by Monday I I will give you little I surrender 
of all, some of you go, I know those people. That happened 10 years ago at our John Young campus, and some of those faces to some of you are familiar. Uh, I know it looks like 25 years ago. There's been a lot of life the last 10 years, right? Like, it's a totally different style and technology and all that, but uh, to be clear, though, that was, that was wrong worship. Like, that's not how we are to worship, and the reason it's funny and the reason we chuckle a little bit is because there's an element of truth in us doing that sometimes, isn't it? For me, there's this, it's really lighthearted and funny until Melissa says, Savior, I don't need no Savior. I'm busy living my life. And it's like, oh, that took a turn. Like, that got real very fast because we're turning the, the, the light on ourselves and going, hey, I've been guilty of that. I've done that. I have worshiped God in some of the wrong ways. And so what we're going to do today is look at what right worship looks like. This last Monday morning, I was beginning my week with sermon prep, had it on my calendar, going to start right at 9 o'clock, and I had the rare privilege of having the house empty during that time. Um, Nikki had the kids out, and they were doing some things, and so I was like, I'm going to get in, I'm going to get my worship on, like I'm, I'm going to light a candle, maybe even dim the lights a little bit, you know, get in like the worship mode, and I hadn't played my guitar in a while, so I'm going to dust that thing off and tune it, and I'm going to sit on my bed and, and worship. 
And then somebody reached out with kind of a pressing need. And I was like, ah, I gotta, I gotta take this. Um, and, and then my dog went over and like rang the bell and okay, he needs to go out. And so pretty soon I'm like neck deep in stuff and I'm so frustrated. And, and within about an hour, I'm, out, I'm walking my dog and I'm thinking, man, I just want to worship. And it dawns on me that as I've been thinking about God throughout the morning doing my daily life, I was worshiping. I was recognizing his presence and I was longing for more of it. And both the, the daily tasks that I was doing with God present with me and the longing for more, remember David said, as the deer pants for streams of water, my soul thirsts for you, O God. He said, well, when can I go and meet with my God? That is worship. It is worship in the longing. It is worship in the doing. When we desire and we activate the, the desire for more of God in our lives, the Bible calls that worship. And so three things that worship is, number one, worship is recognition. William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury, someone shared this with me earlier this week through a text this is how he defined worship. Worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind by his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, and the submission of will to his purpose. And all of this gathered up in adoration is the greatest of human expressions of which we are capable. Worship is the recognition of God. In fact, if you were to understand the Hebrew word that is translated into worship, the one that is most commonly translated to worship is the word that just means to fall face down. By the way, that was the most common way that people responded to the presence of God, Old Testament and New Testament. Just fall on their face. And not like, oh, it's God, let me worship. <laughs> I'm talking about the feeling that I had as we worshiped through song this morning in the 11 o'clock service and also at 9.30, where at some points it was, it was a little tough to stay standing because the weight and the gravity of who God is was so impressive and so present in my mind. Face down, the Bible says, yes, that's, that's worship. There are cultures where uh, there are kings or, or people of distinction that when you come into their presence, you actually bow, you physically uh, put a, yourself in a posture that recognizes who they are. In our context, we often do that with names. So it's important to say doctor or uh, reverend or your honor, and we recognize that person's position. My freshman year of college, I was uh, sick during freshman orientation. And so I missed all that. I'm going to blame everything that happened in college uh, later on that, but probably not fair. Um, it was a school that my parents had attended, and so I had a familiarity uh, with the people who were there, some of the professors, some of the students. Um, but it was in Indiana, and I didn't live in Indiana, so the familiarity was only kind of um, uh, like a tangent, like it was just kind of peripheral. And my first day, I finally am feeling well, and I'm going to class, and I'm walking on this campus, and I see an older gentleman walking toward me, and I'm going, I know this person. This is a friend of my parents, and it's really important to me to know people's names and to get them right. I didn't say I was great at it. It's just something that's important to me, and I, and I work on that. And so we're walking, and you know, we're walking toward each other, so the, the timeline is being doubled. I'm like, uh, what's the name, what's the name? And right as I get to him, and we're passing, it dawns on me that his name is Ron. And I'm like, thank you, God. Hey, Ron. And I keep walking. 
And then God deposited the second half of who that person is. That was Dr. Manahan, the president of Grace College in Indiana. And 18-year-old Chris greeted him with, hey, Ron. Again, everything that happened in my college experience after that, I'm going to blame on that day. It, it, was, it was a miss because I failed to recognize the position that this individual held. And when it comes to worship of God, it's not only about recognizing his uh, position, but also his person, the kind of God that he is, the kind of characteristics that he has, his, his presence in our lives. The Bible says both person and position. When we uh, recognize that, we're worshiping God. The opposite of this would be what the psalmist says in chapter 14, verse 1. He says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now we hear that and we go, oh, that's talking about atheists. People that don't believe in the existence of God. But let me tell you that the actual uh, phrase in Hebrew doesn't contain the words that we translate there is. It isn't there. The Hebrew says it this way. The fool says in his heart, no God. Do you see the difference? It's not so much the idea that fools deny the existence of God. A foolish person comes face to face with the reality of uh, who God is and says, no thank you. I'm busy living my life. I I, I want what I can get from you, but I really don't want you to reign or to rule. The fool says in his heart, no God. To recognize God involves two parts. First, the external. And I would use the word adoration, although you could use several different words to talk about that. Adoration is simply defined as the act of paying honor as to a divine being And also, it's defined as worship. That's in the dictionary, that adoration is worship. It's Psalm 105.2, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all of his wondrous works. The, The external part of worship, the adoration part, is so wrapped up in our minds with worship that we often will think that it's one and the same thing. So we like do worship. We sing worship songs. We do the external stuff and we go, okay, I've worshiped God today. But worship is not only external, it is also internal. And I would use the word here, meditation. It's when our minds are consumed with the recognition of who God is or what he has done for us and we may not give verbal articulation to it. We may not be singing songs or listening to music But in our heart and in our mind, we're deeply conscious of who God is and of his presence in our lives. This also was true for David who wrote in Psalm 119, 48, My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I might meditate on your promise. David said, when I read the scripture, my mind is consumed with who God is and I'm meditating and I'm worshiping God with my heart and with my mind. This can happen when you're reading a Bible verse or contemplating the characteristics of God. It can also happen and regularly does for me when I go on the back porch and just watch creation happening and I go, wow, God. (laughs) Or when I see my children playing together and I consider the life that God has blessed me with and I go, God, why me? I'm worshiping the internal meditation and conscientiousness of who God is. Both of these aspects, internal and external, are important, but if you're only going to do one, do the internal. Because all true worship begins in the heart and the mind. It begins in the internal and flows outward to the external. Worship begins when I recognize who God is and the place that he has in my life as Savior, Helper, 
provider, leader, and friend. The danger is if we think of worship only in external terms, we're going to fail to recognize him, which is true worship, in all of the other details of our lives. So we go, well, I can't worship right now. I'm at work. I can't worship. I'm disciplining my children or having a conversation with them. I can't worship because I'm playing softball or I'm in class or whatever it might be. And even worse, perhaps more dangerous, when we do enter into a space that we call worship, we think we've accomplished what God wants for us. Hey, I showed up at the worship service on Sunday morning, therefore, but it's not enough simply to do the external. By the way, this is not just a modern problem. When Jesus was on the earth, there was a group of religious leaders. They were the ruling class, not only religiously, but politically. And no one was better at the external parts of worship than them. And Jesus said this in Mark chapter 7, verse 6. Well did Isaiah say about you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus says, you Pharisees walk around with your flowing robes and your big words, and everybody goes, wow, that is worship. And Jesus says, no, it's not. That's a show. That's a production. In fact, the people that looked like the best worshipers, Jesus said, that isn't worship at all because your heart is not engaged in it. It's all of the right stuff outwardly and none of the right stuff inwardly. Worship is recognition of God. Number two, worship is relational. There's this very interesting story, some of you know, in John chapter 4, where Jesus has a conversation with a woman that we call the woman at the well. We don't know her name. The conversation is interesting both because of what they talk about and also because of who she is. As a Samaritan woman talking to a Jewish man, there was a a real kind of um, disconnect in those two cultures and ways of thinking. And to take it one step further, Jesus is the sinless son of God and the Messiah. This woman has been married and divorced five times and is now living with a man who's so uncommitted he won't even put a ring on it. She's relationally bankrupt. She's got nothing going for her in this area. And Jesus stops in the middle of a conversation about worship and says this, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. If you were to see the context of the conversation, what's happening is that the woman is starting to talk about the places of worship. Well, you Jews say it's here, but we Samaritans think it's here. And and maybe someday down the road, somebody will sort that all out for us. And Jesus says, essentially, woman, the truth part of worship is important, but there is another dimension here. God is a spirit. You got to bring your spirit into the room. You got to bring your presence into his. It's not enough just to check the box. We sang the right kind of songs. Now, let me also say truth in worship is extremely important. I can't tell you the number of times, at least half a dozen or more, that Justin and I have wrestled and it's always been him bringing it to me and going, hey, this song is like got an incredible melody and it's like 98% like awesome, but there's this one line and I'm not not sure about it and and we go, well, let's talk about it. And over and over again, we said, you know what? I'm not sure that's true. (laughs) It's a a really cool song, but but let's sideline that for now. 
Let's dig into the scripture. Let's make sure that what we sing on a Sunday morning and what we lead our congregation, what we lead you in worship in is truth. But we also have to go beyond that. And we have to recognize that worship is relational, that it is spirit touching spirit, as one person said. It's relational, not transactional. And we've been conditioned over time and experiences in churches oftentimes to think of worship as a transaction. We show up, we do the thing, we get the feels, and we go on. And the transaction is over. It's the same thing I told you about prayer, and it's so much true in worship as well. It's not transaction. It's not a drive-through experience where, where you give God the, the list of requests or you give God the, the 20 minutes of singing and then you get everything you need and you go on with your day. It's relational, not transactional. And you'll hear people talk about worship in the, the weirdest kind of ways. They go, hey, I'm going to this, uh, this other church over here now. Oh, that's cool. And then somebody will say, hey, how's the worship there? It's like we're asking about french fries. <laughs> Is it curly or waffled, right? Like, do, they, do they put enough salt on the worship? Like, how's the taste? It's like, well, what are we talking about? If you didn't know this, I'm going to let you in on a secret that, that could really change your perspective. Worship's not about you. It's not about what you get out of the transaction. It's about you bringing your whole self into a whole and complete God who wants relationship with you. Another way I might illustrate this is Nikki, Nikki's birthday is coming up. Uh, it's not, but if it were. And by the way, I'm a terrible gift giver. Any, let's just turn this into an AA moment for a minute. Anybody else confess? My name is Chris, and I'm a terrible gift giver. Guys, you're lying. Husbands, get your hands in the air right now. Oh, it's okay. That goes both ways. I'm bad. Uh, I, I, I won't even go further into that. I'm a terrible gift giver. But but at least what I'm trying to do when I give a gift is I think about what's important to Nikki or what's something she would like. Now, imagine that June 15th comes around and it's Nikki's birthday and I say, hey love, I've got you something that is just going to blow you away. I have purchased for you a season's subscription to the MLB Network. For those who don't know, MLB stands for Major League Baseball. Now, my wife likes baseball. I might even say she loves baseball. She will go to games with me. She will even sit and watch an important game with me. But she does not need to see 30 teams play 162 games. I can promise you that. If I were to gift my wife the MLB network, I would really be doing what? Gifting myself <laughs> and saying, but it's for you. And sometimes we come into worship and we're like, Oh God, I'm, I'm singing for you. Why aren't, I, why, aren't, why aren't I getting the feeling? It's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know it was about you. In a, in a healthy relationship, what you should be doing is not going, hey, what can I do for my wife so that I get happy or feel good? What I do is what pleases my wife and how can I serve her? Okay, not what I do. What I should do and often try to do is that. Healthy relationships work that way. Not transactional, but relational. By the way, there could be a whole nother message, and at some point there will be, on how we've turned relationships itself into transactions. And there are generations coming up, and it also exists in older generations, where people think like this, hey, that person looks good, maybe I can get something out of them tonight. 
Maybe there can be a a, a transaction here. Maybe I can get some sense of self-worth or pleasure. Maybe I can use this person, and as soon as I'm done using them and the transaction's over, I move on because we're not thinking relationship. And we do the same so often when it comes to relationship with the Lord. The point I'm trying to make is this, that God loves you. He likes you. He enjoys being with you. He wants to be known by you, and he wants to make you intensely happy and fulfilled. But you can't get there if you've got a mirror in front of your face. The only way to abundant life is to learn to be a worshiper, to learn to submit yourself to the holy and almighty God who loves you and wants more for you. This mutual love exchange, this relationship is what John Piper called this. He said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So in other words, when I find my deepest heart's satisfaction and fulfillment, not in my career or my 401k or my girlfriend or boyfriend, husband or wife, my grades, the college I can get into, the position I'm trying to attain, the size of my house, how new my car is, like when I desire God and God alone, I begin to learn what true satisfaction and pleasure is. It is in becoming a worshiper. And I will spend my life doing this, trying to learn how to live in such a way that when I stand before Jesus, I'll be able to honestly say to him, Jesus, I have longed for nothing but this. I have waited so long to be with you. I hope you know that this life in this world was never meant to fulfill you. Because if you don't know that, you're going to chase something your whole life until you die when what you needed most and what you truly desired most was a relationship with a God who's worthy of worship. Last point for this morning, worship is reserved for Jesus. Some of you see what I did there. I needed to alliterate and I had two R's so I got my third in. But if I stopped it reserved, you would think I meant that worship is about sticking your hands in your pockets and just kind of, you know, maybe like swaying gently back and forth. And I'm not hating. That's kind of my natural way. I kind of have to, you know, hey, I need to kind of break out of this and really, it's okay. But worship is reserved, this is the important part, for Jesus. That's, that's who it's for. Not for anybody else. Look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 through 11. Paul writing to the church from a prison cell, by the way says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on Jesus the name that's above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now there is an obvious takeaway here and it's exactly what we're saying. Worship is reserved alone for Jesus. That means that the gods of the other religions are disqualified from our worship. And somebody go, man that sounds harsh. That sounds narrow-minded. That sounds exclusive. Let me just put it like this. Our our first child was born 16 weeks early, which meant that she spent 
147 days in the Winnie Palmer Neonatal Intensive Care Unit. And at one point in our NICU journey, our daughter needed a blood transfusion. And it just so happened that her blood type was the kind that was least receptive to receiving blood. She could only receive blood from the type that was like hers. And it just so happened that neither Nikki or I had or have that blood type. And so the doctor said, what we need to do is we need to do a blood transfusion and we've got to go to the blood bank and find the right kind of blood. And Nikki and I did not say, no, don't do that. I'm her parent. Give her my blood. We said, hey, if that's the blood she needs, we'll take it. When we hold Jesus up as the only one worthy of worship, we're not saying, hey, my God's better than your God. We're saying there only is one God. There's a God who is and there are gods who are not. And rather than being frustrated or disillusioned or thinking it's narrow-minded, we're just saying, look, hey, we just worship because there is a God who is and he sent his son Jesus to die and the blood saves us. And that's why we worship. They're playing, so I need to hurry up. Truth is, many of us would not think about worshiping the gods of another religion, but we are looking for something or someone else to satisfy us still. And some of us are looking for that in a church experience. And we'll only ever find it in God. There's this really cool thing that happens at the end of that passage in Philippians chapter 2. I was listening to the radio a while back, and they were talking about Steph Curry. Steph is this prodigy, like lights out three-point shooter in the NBA. And Steph was a kid that grew up around the NBA because his dad, Dell, was a three-point shooter and really high on the list of best all time. And as, as Steph got to the point of, of overtaking his dad and having shot more three-pointers, these radio DJs were talking and they said, what do you think Dell's perspective is? Like, do you think Dell is going, man, my son's going to pass me. That stinks. Like, I want that record. Or do you think the dad is saying, go get him, son? You take that record and you let everybody honor you and recognize you as the greatest of all time. And I know as a dad what my perspective would be. It's the perspective that God the Father has in Philippians chapter 2 verse 11. When every person in human history, every president and prime minister, king and queen, CEO and janitor, pastor, business leader, founder, architect, clerk, is face down in worship acknowledging the only one worthy of worship whose name is Jesus. And listen to what Paul says in verse 11. He says, And every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father. For all of eternity, God the Father will stand as a proud dad saying, Look at the way they honor my son. Look at the way they recognize who he is and what he's done. And through worship of Jesus, we glorify God the Father. Let me make one final point. I want us to notice that in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus' right to be worshipped is at least partially connected to the downward trajectory of his life. There's a really important word in Philippians 2. It's the word therefore. And Paul says essentially, hey, because Jesus was born in a stable, raised in obscurity, rejected by his own family, abandoned by friends, crucified on a Roman cross, he says, therefore, God has raised him up and given him the name that's above every name. And he's been highly exalted because he was willing to go all the way to the cross. 
and forevermore he is lifted up as King of kings and Lord of lords. God will never exalt you to the same place. Let me be really clear about that. But the principle holds for us as it held for him. Peter, one of Jesus' early followers, said it this way, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. And for those of you that are still trying to earn enough, do enough, be enough, grow enough to get God's attention and be celebrated, the path to exaltation is humility. Jesus demonstrated that for us. We felt it would be fitting for a couple of reasons to close the service today, or at least the message, by taking communion or taking the Lord's Supper together. It is in the communion, it is in the receiving of the elements of communion that we forever remember symbolically what Jesus did in fact and in actuality when his body was broken for us, when his blood was poured out for us. On your way in, you should have received or hopefully received those elements. Uh, if you didn't and you would like to participate in communion, would you just lift your hand up? We got some folks uh, over here and got some folks coming around that can pass those out. Team, do you have some or do you need them? <clears throat> John, if you would bring up one for me as well. As we prepare to take the Lord's Supper or communion together, the context of the first time this ever happened was Jesus' last night with the disciples. <clears throat> they're having supper together. And they're observing the Passover, which is the remembrance of what God did in the Exodus when the blood of the Lamb was shed to save the people. And Jesus, with either daring audacity or absolute truth and confidence, said, when you take it from now on, do it in remembrance of me the one whose body was broken, the one whose blood was poured out to save us. And so would you take the wafer, the edible part, go ahead and eat that remembering the broken body of Jesus. And would you take the drink, symbolic of the blood that was poured out for you, and drink remembering the blood of Jesus who saves us. Drink in remembrance of him. Father in heaven, we thank you that you so much love the world that you gave your one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. God, let us sink our teeth into that, not just uh, actually but also in our hearts and minds and spirits throughout the week. Let us give you the worship that you alone are worthy of. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service times, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.